Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Did you see a doorman out there? Jessica Jones, episode 112, a.k.a. Take a Bloody Number, is brought to you by IGH, acronym for nothing. <laughs> Well done, Pete. Certainly can't wait to jump into this episode, an episode that uh, that defied my expectations, uh, particularly with what I thought the penultimate episode would do. But Pete, let's jump on in. It's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? Explosion, sirens. We pick up right where we left off the previous episode. Luke in a charred leather jacket there and uh explaining that he did it he did everything he said and we immediately know this is the work of Kilgrave and Jess wants him to repeat the words to know exactly what he said and this all comes full circle by the end of the episode he was told to blow up your bar with you in it make sure Jessica sees it there's kind of this interesting opening that, at least to me, I was having some fun with. It was kind of like, previously, on Jessica Jones, an explosion took apart the bar, but not the man. And then there's the new bit, and there's the explanation, and then there's his flashback. So, previously, on Luke Cage, he was following Jessica to the restaurant and approached Kilgrave. And it's like, I don't know, I just liked this duel. In in, in the first two scenes of this, we are going back in the in the narrative you know we're, we're kind of flashing i mean one is a flashback the other is kind of a flashback well to take her back through what had happened that uh two days ago uh he followed her and uh outside the restaurant when kilgrave and albert his father came out they were going to get into an suv there was somebody waiting for them there a woman and luke runs up and uh, Kilgrave was just able to stop him. Who the hell are you? Gets the info out of him, gets him in the car. And, uh, you know, the whole idea that uh, everything that's that's gone on through Kilgrave's unique powers is just a question away. Pete, I'm glad that you watched this episode two times. Um because I watched it once, thoroughly enjoyed it, but I feel like uh, I feel like a dumb dumb in retrospect that I didn't see the story clues heading towards the the climax of the episode here. So I'm doubly glad that you've been able to double back and catch some of those because even in these early scenes here, it's like it's the perfect it's the perfect thing to show that Luke is definitely positively a good guy because he was blown up. And therefore, and, and, and lived, therefore, because we'd see it from Jessica's point of view, there's no possible other way that he could be, that this could be part of a larger, a larger game. Despite the fact that we've spent the previous 11 episodes with Jessica being tugged at all the people around her as part of this larger Kilgrave game. Well, the gaps that create the possibilities in between the, the two-day gap from having been with Kilgrave, the explanation of what's happened in the gap from when she's seen Kilgrave uh, last, the uh, 
what is it? The incremental, not exponential um, increase in his powers. It's not as good as, let's say, what was done on a second season of Fargo here in terms of moving the story forward from one character or a couple characters' point of view, but then catching back up in between what went on tangentially. Well, few things are Fargo, I'll say that. But uh, but the fact that this is an episode that absolutely uh, is subversive in in taking the expect the audience expectations and turning them around, but not turning them around to a point where up is down and left is right, and we feel cheapened by these twists. Everything is kind of within the bounds of the story, and it's it's something that I really really appreciate. So one thing that comes up other than uh, Reba's video in their discussion here or really Kilgrave's interrogation of Luke in this flashback, um, the idea that Reva was potentially going to expose him with this video um, and that Luke admits, of course, to Kilgrave that he and Jessica were lovers. It was not a pity shag. Um, that there's something between them is uh, Luke's exact phrase there. Uh, but the deception, the lying, everything like that. And um, Kilgrave wants to know if he's, if Luke has buggered uh, Kilgrave's chances with her. And Luke honestly replies, no, you screwed that up yourself to which Kilgrave says, I'll have to think of a fitting response to that. And come the end of the episode, not only does he respond, but Jessica responds. And it's all there in plain sight. I feel I feel silly for not having seen it, but it's I, I think perhaps in my own defense, maybe in, in, in the defense of the the minority in the audience who didn't see it coming because i'm sure pete most people like you had their uh had their smarty pants hats on their thinking caps that's an even better thing to say um between kind of the juxtaposition here of the super powerful luke now powerless and then just once again this amazing acting out of tenant he's shark-like as he's getting all these details from luke uh, it, it's this case of they're, they're hiding things in plain sight with the, with the panache of the scene. There's also this look that comes over, uh, Luke while he's sitting there in the SUV that he's, he's fighting it, uh, before you get a final look at a tenant there with that shark like grin. So I think that really sets up everything toward the end of the episode with the reveal and the planting of the the phrases and and the words that Kilgraves obviously, you know the the tide has turned back toward him with this episode. In order to transition back to the present time, uh, I thought it was interesting that the director chose to keep Luke in the same part of the frame. He's kind of upper right in the SUV, and then back, uh, you know, they're they're around the corner from the exploded bar. Uh, he's in the same position, so a little uh, a little flourish there. Uh, Jessica declares that Luke is done, as in done with Kilgrave's spell. And uh, Luke, in a great twist of writing, says he isn't done, as uh, 
you know, everything that there that he had about Revo was in those four walls. Um, and there's the really interesting tidbit that nothing in the bar legally connects uh, Luke to it, which um, certainly was interesting to hear at the time. I wondered if perhaps they were going to build on that at some point. Um, they don't in this episode, at least as far as I can tell. I doubt they'll have time next episode. Maybe it's a tidbit for the Luke Cage series. Maybe it's just a little bit of writing there that to kind of uh, clean up the, the 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 path in terms of you know here's why cops won't come after Luke Cage because nobody knew Luke Cage would ever be connected to to the bar in terms of you know the NYPD and the police and all of that or the or the fire department etc. Right. So they jump on the motorcycle there and head back to the office. The window's still broken, but great character moment twice in the course of uh, her office here and a little later on of her unlocking and later locking the door through the broken window. You know, that in a nutshell is Jessica Jones, the character. It's somebody who is looking for normalcy somebody who is happy to find stability but also somebody who is so blind to the 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 chaos swirling around that that chaos itself is normal and and thus this ridiculous notion of lock your doors when anyone can get in by the way pete in my notes uh i i have the following line luke calls himself a fool for not having believed jessica about kilgrave it sure is handy how many people don't believe her. Now, I was right. saying that at the time in my notes, kind of tongue-in-cheek, of course, all of this is constructed and you have to have coincidences or you have to have just, you know, the, these things where you're not going to resolve the season-long conflict in the first episode, so on and so forth. But it is a little bit of a flag there in retrospect. At least I caught one of them to sit and say, yeah. well, wait, why wouldn't he believe her? Like he of all people knows says, that there's superpowers. Didn't believe her, not enough. So there's there's the fatal flaw of Kilgrave is his vanity. Guy who's really into his appearance is into his reputation, and you didn't believe in his powers enough. Almost like it, it goes back to the potential turn from a heel to a hero. Uh, look what I did. I saved those people um, that he would be so into this idea that he's helping people, that that he's a hero, that his powers are great and everything there. And of course, if he's going to, uh, in addition to suggest to Cage what to do, he's also going to brainwash him that he's great. Maybe what I'm about to say is just a series of disconnected thoughts that I'm forcing together, but it's it's what's come together in my head. As we record this today, it's the day when most likely Star Wars will surpass Avengers Age of Ultron. It uh, did last night. It did last night. Okay. Yeah. So today's the day it's officially, you know, being being reported as such. Avengers Age of Ultron, a movie that suffered from some problems, including so many heroes and a villain who kind of couldn't quite live up to all those heroes that movie led to marvel films being separated from the rest of marvel including marvel tv because the perception was the marvel suit hierarchy and the guy who runs marvel who side note is this mysterious guy ike Perlmutter, who like no one has a picture of in the last 25 years it's 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 very villain-esque anyhow point being 
the perception was, hey, the Marvel suits and the Marvel brain trust hurt uh, Avengers. Flip side, meanwhile on Marvel TV, we have these fantastic villains, whether it's whether it's Kingpin last season, completely just vicious but pathos-filled and and you know, a major portion of that storyline. Just the the it's almost inexplicable to understand Kilgrave because on the one hand, he is a rapist. On the other hand, so charismatic because of the actor. Um charming. Just somebody, you know, somebody who, you know, don't we all want to go on stage and say, hello, New York? Like, there's just all this kind of w- boy wish fulfillment stuff in this fantastic villain. Even on the broadcast end, you know, super fun villains, twists and turns, etc. on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, male and female villains like an Agent Carter. Like, these are shows where the villains are up to the task, if not sometimes more interesting. Um and we're kind of encapsulating all here in this episode is this completely seductive, wonderful, awful guy. It's funny that you say that, too, because at the same time, there's a stunted aspect to his nature. You know, it's it's the Willy Wonka, you know, remember what happened to the boy who got everything he wanted. He lived happily ever after. Antithesis. It's he got these powers the ability to suggest to anybody other than Jessica now whatever he wants when he was in his you know formative years and has never grown beyond that uh later on he's telling his father that the uh the work the pace that it's progressing at is unacceptable um you, you still see the the preteen boy in him yeah his his tastes have grown up but his mentality has not back into the scene uh jessica says that kilgrave making her kill reva severed perhaps kilgrave's power over her somehow um and luke says that because jessica didn't want to kill reva she was able to push him out and pete this struck me as a as an unscientific understanding from luke of something which has been at least in the fiction of the world, at least tenuously, at least with vials and different colored chemicals and whatnot. This is a power that's been defined by science. I ask you, Pete, is this another little clue here that Luke is just trying to come up with? uh, He's trying to fill in the story that he's being compelled to tell. I don't think it was so much of that. I'm more interested with the aspect. How did she push past because she didn't want to do something that that freed her. Um, I don't think it's that simple. And clearly Luke Cage in retrospect under Kilgrave's sway here, almost a yearning like, Oh, I cannot want to kill somebody and that'll do it. I mean, look what happens at the end of the episode when he takes a shotgun to the face. It's something that they're going to have to resolve, or at least that they will hopefully resolve by the end of the season, by next, by the end of next episode. Because, There's a lot of balls in the air. Oh, absolutely. But to me, this is one of the most important ones. If this wants to be, if this wants to fin, if this series wants to finish on a high quality note, and if Kilgrave is a metaphorical proxy for for whether it's rape, whether it's sexism in general, whether it's kind of a patriarchal culture, all of those things, 
are we saying if you just if you just want hard enough, then you can overcome the fear you feel from your sexual assailant? Well, okay, no, that's not that's not the no, way out of that situation. The, it's not the Wizard of Oz, you know, and that needs to be established. But the facts that we go on in this scene that she's continually testing throughout this episode. All right, you haven't seen him in six or seven hours. You need to hit the 12 hour mark. And then later on, um, you know, when they're on the roof talking about the potential for him to uh, still have been under Kilgrave's control, she's on a subconscious level never truly convinced. So for us as viewers, it's not that far fetched when at the end it's revealed that he is still under that control. And uh, part of how they move through this 12 to 14 hour uh, timing that she that she's looking for from him, uh, she sleeps on the bed while she uses the police uh, scanner app. And you mean he sleeps on the bed? Uh, he he does while she yes indeed she she uses the police scanner app and happens to peek at uh, Luke's flawless bod. Yo, well his back that is completely unscarred the fight despite the fact that his leather jacket was charred. That's the name of the game, man. When you got, when you got power man powers, yeah, the story moves to Kilgrave exiting the club. Uh, the I thought this was hall indeed. And I thought that this was, I mean, you talk about narrative efficiency. I did not suspect we were returning to this location because they, they just were wrapping up like, they were wrapping up what had happened on the inside, and it just worked that, oh, we don't need to see all the people. and we don't. They can just explain it, which is normally not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to show it, not say it, but it works here. They were testing his powers. They've now gone, they being uh, him and dad, they've gone from 80 feet to 100 feet, um, and they got most of the people in the room, but but not everybody in the back row, Pete. Yeah, and later to find out that this was the test that had the um, the security cams wiped and everything there, and the guy that uh, Kilgrave sends across. That's you know, it's it's Chekhov's clubber uh, hanging across the street uh, twenty four hours later with a, a puddle in his pants, but not to a point where you could see that one coming. That's what I appreciate about it is we've yep. seen him dismiss so many people so many times. And when we return to that guy, it's, it's, it's something new 12 episodes in it's, it's kind of a new level of, of patheticness. Uh, however, we'll return to him, Pete, the story moves to Jessica touching base with Trish, uh, the latter of which who's just being uh, kept in hospital. She's on the mend. Everything's okay. And Pete, we have some info on Kozlov, who works for IGH, which stands for nothing and has no history. And no website and nothing else. Of course, we know there'll be a larger story there. Which, of course, is a reminder. Check FantasticGeek.com. We have a website. There's all sorts (laughs) of great stuff there. We're not an evil corporation out making medical experiments on uh, people. Not yet. Wow. Coming in 2016. <laughs> that's that's our hope with our if if you had to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, we too can create a superpowered army of uh evil villains. Pete, Which, conversation over. There's someone at the door, and Pete, it must be Mother's Day because it's mom. 
Well, a little bit before then, uh, Jess talked about tripling um, Trisha's home security and that the doorman told her somebody had cleaned up her place that the two dead bodies were taken, I think is worth mentioning. Yeah. You know what? These doormen at her building exist for narrative convenience. <laughs> they exist yeah. as they are a vessel through which we can hear things that we don't need to see. They, they let people in. They, they, they drink and fall asleep when people who don't have powers need to get in or giant army rage machines don't need to rage out on a doorman. Hey, got, got somebody. Isn't there a doorman union or something, Pete? They gotta, they gotta work on this here. They do. Um, but with Dorothy having arrived here, of course she wasn't eavesdropping. She just didn't want to come in and interrupt. He heard it was IGH. Of course, she needs to address that with her daughter. Pete, dear old mom, who is starting to come across as oddly earnest. Uh, she says that she's there to make sure that Trish didn't relapse. And again, Dorothy is oddly motherly here. She's uh, giving her daughter daughter approval uh, concerning the potent talk power of Trish talk. And uh, even reflecting Dorothy is on her own poor parenting and the price that she's paid. And it's just kind of like a curiously human scene from, from Dorothy. Well, we know we can't trust her for very long. Time will tell. Uh, but we can tell this, Pete. Back we go to Jessica's apartment. Uh, Luke's been off the kill, dra- the kill grave for 14 hours, and Jessica's trying to push him away. Uh, she reminds him that he's acting like someone who wants to be hidden. Hey, Pete, maybe there's like a, a Luke Cage storyline about him <laughs> eventually leaving all this awful stuff and trying to find his life again. Like that'd be really great in 2016 yeah, a, to hear a new that bar, you know, a new place to live, you know, maybe in Seattle, he can get a talk show, that kind of thing. I'm listening. Uh, with that, uh, Jessica and Luke leave. And of course, Pete, they make sure that the door without the window, as you mentioned before, is locked. It's a great little detail. It's not done literally either. It's uh, it's wonderful. Uh, at the curb, love, by the way, this this narrative flow here, something that they really do great on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but they kind of continue here where they leave and scene. No, it's not the end of the scene. It's just, meanwhile, you know, they end up downstairs. They see Malcolm at the curb leaving. He blames Jessica for everything wanting to face the pain of having hurt his parents uh, versus take the loneliness and anger that is knowing Jessica Jones made me think, Pete, of the uh, the comment that we got uh, last week about Malcolm being the only person with two normal parents yeah. intact, his love for his parents intact, his desire to uh, make a family, you know, not me, make a family, but, you know, to have a family dynamic with his parents intact. It's all normal there. Yeah, and the the pathos through this character in this episode, you know, he's he's going to leave. He doesn't. The later on, he's the sounding board for Robin in the throes of her guilt and then um, helping her grieve and put Reuben to rest. I agree he does not leave by the end of the episode because of everything you just said. I would be curious 
to see. Let's assume that Malcolm does not die in the finale. It still could be, and Malcolm goes home to his family. Jessica Jones season two is without Malcolm, which I'm not. I'm not rooting for, but it kind of. There's definitely the possibility here of him just being written out, his his arc complete. Um, but within the story, Jessica and Luke go to Albert's motel, and Pete. There's a lovely worker, expertly performed <laughs> by an actress, who says she has no forwarding address for Albert. Also, Albert stiffed her on the bill, so she sold his lab tools. Uh, to those thrifty meth cooks on eBay. Yeah, there's quite a few of them, apparently, um, to the point where even the heavy, useless chemicals in the corner, uh, well, now they're going to cost Jessica and Luke 50 bucks and done well in the framing of the camera for Luke to just pick her up and to move her sideways. (laughs) Um, And the reaction that it gets is priceless. And I don't know exactly how they did that as a gag, whether she's on a wire or some kind of platform or whatever. But once again, this show is going for the going for the um, I don't want to say the word efficient again, but I'll say efficient again because it's the most efficient way to say it. You know, assuming she's standing on something, which is why you can see above her head, but not below her waist. It's just let's just go for it and have her move it. We don't need to, you know. We don't need to do a, a wide shot and then wires and then, you know, do computer effects to get rid of the wires. Just move her along, move her over, over. Hey, he's super powered. We're not making a big deal of it. And keep the story moving along. Because, Pete, there's an immunization drug, techity tech tech pharmaceutical company. You mean adreno-associated uh, viral compound or later referred to as AAV1 from Zalk Laboratories? Adreno-associated drug <laughs> compound making things better for immunizations. Well, it's a genetic uh, brain disorder drug, which we've already established with um, – Kilgrave's parents with the Thompsons. So whether or not this became, you know, big pharma, other type of stuff, who knows? It's certainly a a dangled thread. But uh, to have this logo on the box and soon on the outside of the laboratory, the uh, local biochem laboratory, it's all connected. Thank goodness they have... uh... A, a a drug facility in the outer boroughs so easily accessible <laughs> it's it's a small world it, thank goodness thank goodness everything you could possibly need is in new york including this uh this cd motel um but pete in the in the pharmaceutical company the workers have been working non-stop of course literally courtesy of kilgrave it smells like the human wastes in there because yeah. they're People have fainted and, um, you know, we, we constantly have to think of the literal aspect despite the commands of, of Kilgrave, you know, stand there and look at that fence forever. Well, he won't do that because eventually that spell will wear off within established at the end of this episode, 24 hours and a hundred feet. But... Um, it's important from a writing room perspective because that's got to be mapped out 
ahead of time. That can't be in in good writing something that's just retconned in. It also serves the notion of Kilgrave being, you know, like a preteen slash teen child in that, you know, in in the in preteens and teens, there's you know, there's the awakening to stop being so literal. It's the id, right? And and Kilgrave. Kilgrave is an adult who who uses figurative language. The problem is others hear him in a literal way, so his words come out like those of a child, or they're heard as a child would hear them. Yeah, and for Jess to talk about, okay, let's let's talk this through. I I hear that helps. Again, she's the anti Kilgrave and comparing this to to jogging something that also makes her feel like crap but to get luke going on about how he stood there in the bar waiting smelling the gas thinking putting putting the lighter down there's this prison aspect to being under his control where you're conscious of it but powerless to resist it and it's a really compelling analogy to obviously the various forms of abuse we've compared his control to. Also a bit of a comment here as if the whole season hasn't been just kind of the, 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 the white male privilege and white male at the top of the, at the top of the food chain here being, being uh, brought down uh, at least, you know, I know there's the asterisk next to Luke in this episode, but you know, being brought down by by a man of color and a woman, it's I mean, it's there for the taking in terms of saying, you know, Kilgrave and the world he represents, you know, these times they are a changing. This is the most loaded portion of this episode. He tells her that he was wrong for blaming Reva's murder on her. Um this you can uh take back what he called her um that uh he forgives her uh for everything and he'll say it every day as long as she needs to hear it and it's so funny matt that um you know there there's the literal and there's the symbolic and uh the one thing i did notice in this scene poor uh mike coulter has like a really prominent mole toward the back of his head that's obviously exacerbated uh, when he shaves his head and at a funny angle, it almost looks pointed. And I wrote mole. And then you watch the end of this episode and he was the mole the whole time. Pete, that shows that a good actor commits everything. Pete, the story moves back to Trisha's apartment. Dear old mom is back again, back remaining in the story. And surprisingly, she has information on, on IGH. I mean, it's not that surprising. I did predict that we'd learn more about Kozlov in this episode. Asterisk, I thought this, on first viewing, was going to be a springboard to much more about Kozlov in this episode. And the return of Simpson and so on and so forth, I guess we're saving that for a jam-packed finale episode, question mark. So I was was a bit wrong about that. But uh, again, Pete, Mom says she weren't dropping no eaves. She just happened to overhear... Um, but she, of course, has always had great files. And let me pause the narrator for a moment to say, at this particular moment, I was calling Story Baloney 
great files about what like it seems so out of the blue but just as mom is trying to close the gap between her and her daughter so too does mom close this story gap um heck of course she should have shared it earlier but trish and jesse were so young and then pete the reveal igh paid for jessica's medical bills and uh, nobody knows dorothy hasn't told anyone um, nor has she been turning rocks over when it came to IGH. So I am satisfied by that explanation as to why Dorothy has some information. Narratively, it is solved as well. Jess threatened her uh, to tie her earlobes to her brain if she ever said anything. We've seen the moment where Jess revealed her powers to Dorothy in a previous flashback. So it, it is solved in their universe in a convincing way that, oh, hey, IGH, blah, 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 for it to suddenly come up in this, you know, second to last episode, it it, it works. It's, it's deus ex machina-esque, but it works, therefore... Therefore, it's not a slam. It's it's out of the the blue, but the explanation is perfect. Yeah, and um, the the passive aggression in this at the same time the the manipulative you know like like fingernails on Trisha's scalp there. Oh, hey, Sabrina asked all about you with her. Her bottled water division, you know, where they give one for every one they sell and and just being pulled back. She feels it being pulled back into that world. The 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 water interested mom then duly kicked out of the uh, the apartment. Um, Mom offers nonetheless still more files open invite for the future. Pete, we only have one episode left. I wonder if that'll happen in the next episode. Um, But in. Indeed. In this episode, we head back to the lab where uh, Jessica is snoozing and Luke is too. Um, they both wake up to notice that there's a man going into the uh, the pharmaceutical uh, building there. But Pete, it's not Kilgrave. It's an Asian messenger. Yeah, the courier here, they decide to follow him, albeit at a distance on the motorcycle. As they're pulling away, Matt, a massive hint, big close-up of a stop sign. Ooh, it's broadcast TV rarely has the time to do things like that. And that's part of what gives these, you know, I'll say under the cloud of like cable, even though I know Netflix productions aren't strictly cable, but those kind of non-broadcast options where you can just slow down a little bit and on the day go, wait a minute, let's include a shot of a stop sign here. Let's have the camera catch that to just say to the audience, stop, something is not right. Uh, By the way, Pete, thank goodness the messenger took so long to go in and go out. That gave time for Jessica and Luke to get on the bike, get helmets on, start the bike, etc. But I digress. They follow the man to the edge of Central Park. Luke is left behind. Uh, I bought the, 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 the... kind of look of fear in his eyes where you know stay behind so you don't get killgraved because that's a concern of the episode again i don't know how i missed it but the concern is we don't want luke to get killgraved again and in the park jessica continues to follow him um including going down through that pedestrian underpass and i was convinced pete that while they were in that underpass 
there the trap would have been sprung uh, even as the parents the breeders kind of close in and there's strollers <laughs> in the way but nope it was just an area of tension this is an episode with wonderful wonderful tension perhaps the most the most uh, tight tummied episode of the bunch um and then even out in the open pete in the fountain square it still feels claustrophobic because potentially there's bad guys everywhere yeah, you know, we've seen the bubble burst and, and we're waiting for it to burst. And then the guy grabs the hedge clippers. And I mean, again, this is such a tense episode where first, I mean, obviously, you know, he's probably gonzo at this point, even before he clearly is dead, but just to stick them in his mouth and then the pièce de résistance of awfulness to fall over onto them killing himself it's just i mean it's horrific but it's done with kind of that what is it that jeff Loeb said tv or like like pg 15 pg 17 that kind of level of violence where the stuff you don't see is is worse and then of course pete the reveal what's in the bag nothing nothing at all we return to Jessica's apartment and Jessica and Luke, they have Pete halfway through the episode just to make things clear. They have some super clear exposition for everybody at home. Kilgrave still needs the chemicals. His upgrade isn't complete. If they don't hack soon, he'll be able to control people through walls and stuff. Worst case scenario, superpowered Kilgrave t- tells all of New York City to go up onto the highest building and jump. Are you clear, Pete, about the <laughs> about the the the... The, 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 the power scope. of his evil, the scope that something must be done in the remaining 90 minutes of season one, nay, perhaps the series. But uh, to see Trish down the end of her hallway, who suddenly puts the IGH file back into her bag, not the right time to do it. Uh, with that, Trish and Luke meet. They share their Kilgrave background deets, and Luke excuses himself. Uh, granted, he goes into Jessica's apartment that has the broken window, so it's not that particularly private, uh, but hey. And then Pete, I guess, call it women's intuition, I don't know, but Trish senses a magnetism between the two, noting that, quote, he's hot. The, the chemistry also that she refers to in, in an episode where we're spending significant time at and around a, a biochem lab, you wonder if perhaps that's not a little bit more of a narrative nod than a figurative one. I thought that this bit with Trish here was bordering on tropey, but it ended up having a point. No, they're not going to braid each other's hair. No, they're not going to have some sort of special test failing discussion. Well, I guess they are discussing a man. So maybe that does fail the special test, but um, there's a point to all of this. Jessica pushes people away always, but this time she should not. She should seek happiness with Luke Cage. And we're, we, at least me, Pete, since since you saw this one coming, but I'm sitting there going, yes, she should, because there's going to be more Luke Cage, and it's going to be more Jessica Jones, even if it's just on the Defenders. Hello, we're new already. But we all know in the comics, Jessica and Luke fall in love, and they're going to put over the whole, oops, I killed your wife thing. Um, And and, and there's going to be nothing between now and the end of the season other than just a clear path towards happiness and baby-making and love. (laughs) Well, when you put it like that... But I think that that's part of what this episode is playing with, that Trish, who is as um, morally pure a character as we have had, and I'm not saying she's perfect by any means, but 
adult Trish is somebody whose head is on straight, who wants to be the best person she can be, who wants to help people but not push her sense of of what is right and wrong on other people. You know, she's not calling Jessica ten times a day in the first episode because Jessica said, I need space, go away. We trust Trish's word. And for Trish to say, hey, there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and if you're smart enough to know in the comics these two characters fall in love and even if you don't know that as you sit and say oh well hey they're you know they kind of have a thing and they have chemistry and they're both kind of broken and together they can find love in each other's arms it's all pointing in the same direction and trish is telling us that so we believe her but pete she's working for those mean mean writers who are going to pull the rug out from under us in about uh, 25 minutes when she wins this thing i thought was the interesting aspect of that exchange well, I hope she better win it in the next uh, in the next episode. Otherwise, we're in, I, I think we're going to be unhappy campers here. Well, the way that they leave you, obviously, <clears throat> listen you you get a renewal or you don't. It's thirteen episodes. You've you've got to end it some way. Obviously, that would not be with the protagonist losing, and then later we know that she's going to be in the Defenders miniseries, but. In light of the way this episode ends, it's certainly a curious nod. Well, speaking of curious nods, back in Jessica's apartment, Luke is just sitting there with his his head in his hands. And I thought it was this sad encapsulation of a wonderfully flawed character who has lost so much. It actually is a big warning sign. What is it that weighs on him so heavily Yes, he's had these extraordinary things and, you know, extraordinarily negative things happen. The loss of his wife, the loss of his bar. It seems like more than that on first viewing. And indeed it is. And there's just this moment where he's able to relax and let out the, 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 the tension and the awfulness that he's feeling because he's being made to continue with this charade. Having just told Roy the bartender he doesn't have a job anymore. Not just that, Pete, but the whole, this is part of the long, the long con, and he's still Kilgraved, etc. Yeah, this, this was the only bit in it I found hard to believe on the second watch that he could be sympathetic towards this other character at the same time be fulfilling the orders of Kilgrave. You mean be sympathetic to to the bartender? Yeah. We know well, that he's obviously playing both sides with Jess. But I think it's the one thing that doesn't set itself up well as far as the presentation. But can't... If part of him is fighting against these instructions he's been given, as we've heard many of these people say, I didn't want to do it, but part of me did, but I was thinking how I shouldn't, you know, all, all that discussion. If he hasn't been given orders on how to think or how to act regarding Roy the bartender, can't he just simply be honest about that? I mean, it's true that a good bartender can get a job again, and it's true that he could feel bad to tell Roy there's been an explosion, they're not rebuilding, sorry, buddy, you're out of a job. Can't all of that be true simultaneous to Luke feeling uh, conflicted about the job he has to do with Jessica? We get the 180 
of the statements that he made to her on the rooftop toward the end of the episode. So the duplicitedness that goes with that later on comes full circle. I'd have an easier time believing he was pretending to be on the phone with Roy and listening to Jess in the hallway with Trish than him actually reaching out to Roy or Roy having called him and had this honest exchange. I, I just, from a, from a character motivation standpoint, even with the brainwashing, it, it was just hard for me to buy. Well, regardless, Jessica's looking for her traditional liquid breakfast. Uh, I like that we don't know what she's foul. looking for. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, it's it's Luke who pulls out some wildfowl whiskey. Uh, Jessica takes uh, or takes out the yellow thumb drive. This time, gives it over to Luke. She explains, "Hey, narrative focusing happening. That there are videos of experiments on kids. Kilgrave was one of them." Uh, with that, Pete uh, Luke goes to take a shower. Uh, ostensibly because he feels dirty inside and out. That was my take on first viewing, and I think it's doubly so here. Um, and with that, Pete, meanwhile, Malcolm is leaving, presumably for the last time. He sees Jessica drinking at her desk and walks away to the elevator. The end for Malcolm, question mark? Nope. Great scene. He hears that delivery woman fighting with Robin and goes upstairs. And the increasingly less funny, increasingly less stable, Robin is convinced that the delivery woman is a Kilgrave drone when in fact, and in such a sad moment, she's delivering a package for Reuben. Yeah. And um, inside the package, this charger that he needed, uh, Reuben's chinchilla. Of course, it was going to be an animal had chewed through his charger cable and uh, the regret that she now harbors not having him spring for the expedited shipping. She is just such an increasingly sad, pathos-filled, pathetic in the traditional sense of the word character. Um, They reminisce about Ruben, how great his banana bread was. Uh, Malcolm says, not, it was like Meg, crack. not crack. <laughs> yeah. Great, great line there. Again, it is so smart that even taking Robin to this, this saddest point, which she is here and in her next uh, scene, they still keep the funny in there a little bit because it makes us, it makes us smile through the tears. Um, I don't know, which is a more, I don't want to say it's a better feeling because it's the sadness that she takes us on, you know, it doesn't make you feel good, but it's, it, it, it's, it's a more complete Robin to have a little chuckle in there along with all the crazy sadness. Oh, undoubtedly. And that, that he could even make a crack joke here and it not come across as cloying or insensitive. I think again, credit to the writer. Speaking of insensitive, the story moves to Kilgrave's <laughs> awesome apartment. He says it isn't working, and I thought at first he was talking about it's unacceptable. Sounded <laughs> like super nanny. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's angry that Dad isn't working faster and harder to improve the Kilgrave effect, and Kilgrave's response is to slowly, slowly have Dad lower his fingers into the working blender. It is a horrifying scene in the best tradition of Hitchcock. Hitchcock, who said. 
uh, true suspense is telling an audience a bomb will explode in 10 minutes, then counting down all 10 minutes, then not exploding the bomb. That's what we have here. I was close to turning the episode off for not that like, oh, I'm never going to watch again. Just like I needed a break if they were going to cut dad's fingers off and then they don't. (laughs) Thank goodness dad walks away with more focus and 10 fingers. Yeah. And here the ante up. Um, Before that, there's discussion about progress being made, but dad's tired and the not so casual dropping in that the stem cells have inherited some of his genes. Matt, yeah, we put out this AAV1, the virus before, but no mention of stem cells. Are these the embryonic stem cells like, you know, from Hammond Labs? That is certainly the fastest way to get to that story conclusion uh it had me wondering was there a Kilgrave scene where he got that and did it get cut because it didn't work is it something we're going to see in flashback did maybe somebody at the production level say maybe we shouldn't stray too close to kind of the you know use of fetus and all of that for our tv show given some of the discussions going on in the uh, in the news in the political world etc um that's something to watch for in the final episode if we get more of that or if that is just kind of a slight if there's perhaps some evidence that that they went back and said we don't want to connect the dots fully on this for whatever reason so something to watch for in the future regarding where those stem cells came from we return pete to jessica's apartment luke is wearing only a towel oh my he says uh, this story from the past. He took his powers for a test drive, uh, smashing things in a junkyard. Pete, I wish we could see that at some point in some sort of maybe Luke Cage-centric storyline. Um, but point is, maybe Kilgrave is doing that as well. Maybe he's taking his, uh, his upgrade for a test drive. Let's look for how people would explain it. Magic act, performance art, etc., and uh, Pete, where does that take them to on the YouTubes? This was a little over the top, the the test drive aspect of it. Uh, this is Kilgrave again wanting to show off. So that Luke essentially is programmed with how she'll search it so that he can lead her back to Kilgrave. Um and and what to look for and everything there and and the the video shut up you wankers um cute but a little uh cloying can we blame your feelings on kilgrave's poor writing of the plan or a poor job by the writers of this scene because we do have that dual writing, essentially. I'm honestly not sure of which. I mean, uh, here's what I'm hearing from you. It's over the top. It's cloying. Those are those are also words that could be used to describe kill to describe uh, Kilgrave himself. Now, it, I mean, look, obviously, Kilgrave himself did not write this plan. This is all part of the script. 
Kilgrave's All I'm saying not is, a writer on this show. He doesn't get a credit. <laughs> Kilgrave, well, he doesn't Pete, have his WGE WGA East uh, uh, card. That, that's an interesting question. Where's the writers' room? Probably West Coast. Every writers' room is on the West Coast, with the exception of the uh, talk shows out of New York City. Well, there you go. Boom. And who's the daddy? More Maury after this. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> um, I'm not excusing the fact that it is, uh, uh, it's a quick, you know, da da, da da, da da. There, we found it. All I'm saying is, can we, the, the, the dust from the construction of this scene, can we excuse it by it being, you know, a Kilgrave joint? uh just throwing the question out there i mean i don't i don't i don't know if you have an answer or if you have an answer that you're that you're satisfied with i, I get that you've got to lead her back to it um i guess there's no way at least that i can think of and that's that's why i'm not uh writing these professionally at least just not yet um to 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 lead those breadcrumbs well, Pete, there are these breadcrumbs to now take Jessica to the club, uh, but Luke doesn't want her to go. He doesn't want her to get hurt. And then Pete, in just an incredibly effective scene, we move to Malcolm taking Robin to the abandoned, rusty, awful, rotting industrial dock where Ruben's body lies. Robin misreads it as a romantic move yeah. since it's <laughs> such a beautiful place, but she's in mourning. And it's working. But she's in mourning. <laughs> and um, you know, here again the 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 soul of, of Malcolm as somebody raised well and spiritually to bring the surviving sister to the last place where the brother was left. There was an interesting thing that was never followed up on, Matt, when um Ruben was dumped there. Uh, Jessica made like she was going to jump in and then we had the head later on. So I think that Malcolm taking out his phone in that scene a couple episodes ago, it was to use the flashlight, which of course we all know that there's the flashlight thing on phones, but that's not what one normally thinks of when you take out a smartphone that has a camera. You don't think, Oh, clearly you're using this as a flashlight. I think we are meant to have said that's the light by which she's now going to go down, nicely remove Ruben's head, and then take it to the police station because she was dripping wet in the police station. She did have the head. I agree. It's not. It, it, those are two story pieces that were not joined together very well. And again, acceptable in the context of how the narrative is unfurled. But, you know. Everything that goes on in this scene here, the the forgiveness angle for the the second storyline, and this obviously as a springboard for Malcolm with a little bit more forgiveness that even Robin, even the judgmental Pisces twin, uh, who did not seem to have the the milk of human kindness from her brother, um, talking about how this is the most forgiving sign and that they swam in their, their mother's womb and everything there. And, and just the, the kicker of the line, goodbye, Ruben. I hope there's free express shipping in heaven. 
it's it's a yuck yuck that we that gives us a break while we're wiping away the tears. This is a story moment that is earned. Absolutely, it's heartfelt. It's worthy of pausing the stories about Kilgrave, Jessica, Luke, Hogarth, Pam, setting up future seasons, setting up connections to other TV shows, etc. All of it is worth it. As Robin says goodbye, and it's it's just a wonderful moment. Pete, with that, night has fallen as Jessica and Luke arrive at the club. Delaney Hall. Absolutely, and it's silent. It still has the lights on, which I thought was incredibly just kind of creepy. Uh, as they enter across the street, the man told to stand against the wall is still there, having urinated himself. He's trying to cry out either for help or for warning. Um, and clearly we know something is about to happen, but that is the first... Uh, the first kind of confirmation that dad's power boost really has has worked profoundly for uh, for Kilgrave. And the manager at the concert hall there, the the ruse that uh, Luke and, and Jessica are there investigating uh, teenage drinking, that they can look at the cameras. Of course, they've been wiped and um you know suddenly Kilgrave is on a live feed yeah kind of a handy transition there let's look at the cameras oh the tapes don't work but look the cameras work there's the live camera oh the british guy's back i, I kind of liked that that through line there uh the, mar- the the manager and luke asterisk not luke hightailed out of there and jessica confronts him i was so glad to see that indeed his boosted powers still don't work uh, this is what this character of Jessica Jones needs at this point is to be her own independent person separate from the pseudoscience of, you know, superpowers. Uh, I wondered, is this the showdown we've been waiting for? Uh, and with that, uh, Kilgrave says he'll say he's sorry every day for as long as she needs to hear it. Wait a minute, Pete. Is that what Luke said? Yeah. Um Really effective reveal uh, that he's even got to give you the surprise. I wrote it. Um, And then uh, Cage coming in and just the the quantification of, well, 12-hour window at that point is actually 16. Now it's 24 and 100 yards to to put everything in there. Um, Yeah, it's really, really effective. Luke adds that he could never forgive Jessica because she killed his wife. And I think that that line is worth keeping in mind during the fight because I think that once again we have a situation, just as was the case with uh, with Wendy, where, yes, there is Kilgrave who is unleashing these people. But in this particular situation and with Wendy in, in what became Wendy's death scene, Kilgrave is unleashing this primal desire, which is pre-existing. Very different from, I want you to do something that you would never do. Stick your hands in a blender. That is contrary to your your instincts for self-preservation. Here, Luke, I, I buy his anger. Um, and there are moments in the fight that ensues where he is able to pause seemingly. And I think that that's a, a moment of clarity. We'll, well get to that. We've established that through, through Jessica's... Uh, hypothesis that if you 
do something so severe you didn't want to do that the hold can be severed. Ergo, the end of this episode with allowing himself to be shot in the face rather than to kill her. But, you know, Kilgrave's taunting here. Did you think he was more powerful than me with his unbreakable skin? The things that um, Jessica didn't think Kilgrave knew about Luke. When, of course, this character can get anybody to tell them everything couple of thoughts about the fight here his first punch or pardon me his first punch sends her flying across the room his second punch she's able to kind of catch it yeah um which i thought was interesting because he has always been presented as extremely more physically powerful than she is um but i think we also have intentionally not been given a great handle on what her powers are or or, or, or how deep her powers go uh, I also love that there's this fight in the shadows of the club. In, then it gets intercut with Kilgrave narrating and how he's controlled Luke's every move. Um, she's about to fly and he pulls her back down. I mean, this is not the Daredevil hallway fight for a bunch of reasons, including it's cut up, whereas the hallway fight was just five glorious uncut minutes. But punch for punch, this is one heck of a fight. It is, and to show, perhaps, Matt, that, that Luke is, despite the suggestion, in some way holding back, which I think is clear by the end of the episode when he tells her to, to do what she has to do, um, that the thing we've established, that you're still in there, you're just fighting the suggestion as, as much as you can. Uh, Jessica temporarily downs Luke as Kilgrave runs downstairs and Jessica follows him into the spooky, spooky, scary basement. Uh, Luke not far behind. Um, I appreciate that after this knockdown drag out fight, the tension does pause while Jessica hides. And um, I saw it coming that Luke was going to pull her through the wall. I mean, that was just being that that particular gag was just being asked uh, for. But he seems a bit reluctant when she tells him he doesn't want to do this. Um, she downs him a second time, runs out. The police have arrived. Officer number one is knocked out when Luke throws officer number two on him. And the fight continues in the cop car. One door smashed. Uh, and Jessica gets a shotgun, hold it, holds it to his chin. And uh, as you mentioned, Pete, she asks him to stop. He pauses and then says she's got to do what she's got to do. And uh, she fires it. And he's presumably dead except for you know the luke cage series coming soon <laughs> and the unbreakable skin <laughs> he took a he took a buzzsaw uh a power sander not a power sander a um a power blade to his gut that he wouldn't be able to take a shotgun shell or shotgun shrapnel to the face and and shake it off is it's understood by the viewer that of course that's not the end for him, regardless of if you're aware he has his own spinoff coming. What suspects draw our focus in this episode, Pete, let's start with Kilgrave. Yeah. Early on with the flashback, of course, scattering the seeds for later on that loaded line. He'll have to think of, a fitting response to that and certainly does by reaching into Jessica's 
heart and crushing it. I appreciate so much how they they've given us every aspect of this villain. And as we head into the last episode, he's just fully formed. We've seen him wriggle off the hook. We've seen him increase his powers. It's clear that something must be done. Something must be resolved. And uh, that's what I'm looking for next week. How about Dorothy, Matt? A couple scenes in this episode. First, the caring mom, and then the manipulative, I save everything. Come up and see me sometime if you want to dig through the IGH files. I buy it, and I know I shouldn't. So if, if, if there's a twist to be had there, I will happily accept it. I just buy her earnestness. I guess that's a credit to the actress who also has given the character of Dorothy just the, this this awful air to her in previous episodes. Uh, the writing, the past, the past evils of the character uh, are all there and all in my mind. But I buy Mom looking for a new, you know, to to turn the page somehow. And lastly, Luke, to turn him around, we've seen in the previous episode where he blew up his own bar, but obviously it wasn't clear at the end of that episode that it was something he was made to do or that had been rigged when he saw Jessica, but to get him weaponized against her really maybe the toughest turn um, she's had for her character. I had wondered how they would do a show, a Luke Cage show, without her, because I assumed we were going to end on a particular note of of happiness between the two. Uh, I like that it appears there's very much the possibility that at the end of uh, the next, you know, by the end of the next episode, it'll be Luke getting on that motorcycle to say, I've lost too much. I've lost everything. I need time, Jessica Jones. I need to put my life back together. And you know, on that bike he goes, next stop, wherever he ends up in his own series. Um, that's kind of what I'm assuming at this point. But I like that they're setting up where the character is headed by just taking him places in this episode you would not expect. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Matt, how about the um, Luke not having his name on the bar that Reva went out of her way to make sure that was the case? What do you make of that? You know, I'm not quite sure. Again, with with precious time left uh, for however long the, the last episode is, I'll you know assume it's going to be in the neighborhood of an hour. There's not a ton of time left to talk about... Um, to talk about Luke's story in addition to wrapping up the other storylines that are involved. Uh, I'll, I'll continue with the theory that that was in there just to kind of start to give the character exit. So when he does leave at the end of the next episode, it's, you know, it's on to the next adventure. Uh, other than that, I have absolutely no, no theory at all. What about IGH? We have credited them for uh, Simpson. And now it's um, Jessica connected to them as well. It will be a poor job by the writing if we don't get Simpson payoff, Kozlov payoff, IGH payoff in the next episode. 
I know that we then need to add to that Kilgrave payoff, Jessica payoff, Trish payoff, Hogarth payoff. Um, but I just feel like this mysterious group that is larger than the Simpson story needed to be must be headed somewhere. And this is the place to do it. I mean, you know, there, there's never a guarantee for a second season. So this is the place where you can at least establish a little bit more about it or at least resolve it somehow. Um, I, I really, really hope that they have the time to do that. And those stem cells, speaking of the nefarious laboratory work with uh, IGH, um, are those the Kilgrave uh, baby stem cells? I'll, I'll just strengthen what I said earlier. If we don't return to that in the next episode, then there probably was a decision to either not film or to not add to the episode a scene where he gets those remains. Um, probably because it, it, it might have been uh, overturning more than they wanted to discuss in the scope of this season uh, in terms of you know abortion and remains and all of that. Um, maybe we get more from it. Maybe we get a scene that's completely innocuous and in no way kind of disrespectful or over the top or, or gruesome. Uh, but I'm, I'm starting to pick up on stitches of, of stitches suggesting of a miss, uh, missing scene, um, probably for the betterment of the story overall. Let's check our mail drop and hear what you have to say. Pete is, uh, is the old mailbag looking a little light this week? I'm going to credit the holidays there on that one. But you can certainly get in touch with us. One place we've seen increased conversation is via Facebook. So, uh, you know, whether we're using that with one episode left to discuss those thoughts there or not as if we can interact with you on Facebook anytime you've got some thoughts about any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe properties we cover, whether it's Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Agent Carter coming back on here in January, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and, you know, all of the movies and such. Worth mentioning, too, that in addition to uh, episode 113 and its podcast coming in a couple days, uh, one week from when this is recorded and dropping, uh, we'll be doing a season one wrap-up as a whole. So now is certainly a great time to kind of look back over that season and, uh, and share what thoughts come upon your noggin. But Pete, let's start to talk about how people can share those thoughts. Let's start at the top with Twitter. How could people get in touch with you on the Twitter machine? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,839 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the .com, the Gmail, and the Twitter. But Pete, let's bring it back to the beginning, kind of all writerly style. We mentioned Facebook. How do people find us there? Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word. Fun, fun, fun. What well, with that, Pete... 
I, I can't believe we're down to one more episode of Jessica Jones left. Two for the podcast this season. Still no renewal news, but hopefully we'll be able to to bring that before this podcast uh, goes into uh, into hibernation for uh, for a little while. So I will say adios to our listeners and give you the final word. Goodbye, Ruben. I hope they have free expression in heaven. Oh,